This episode is brought to you by Freight Farms. Freight Farms manufactures and sells the leading hydroponic container farm, the Greenery S. Built inside a 40-foot shipping container, the Greenery S uses innovative climate control technology paired with an IoT app called FarmHand to enable anyone to grow fresh food anywhere in the world. Visit FreightFarms.com backslash Edible Activist to learn more. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Peace and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby of The Line, D.C. On this show, you hear from the voices of dynamic Black people and people of color in the agriculture, food justice, and healing space as they share empowering food narratives and perspectives that stem from the land, all while exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. Peace and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting on Full Service Radio. So for today on the show, I have a a special guest, Brian Epps, who is um, a New Jersey native, organizer, community builder, and a returning farmer. Um, So in this episode, I am super excited because we're going to learn more about Brian um, and his call back to Stewart family land held for 200 years. We're really going to dive into that and his devotion to disrupting food apartheid. Brian, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Edible Activists. Melissa, <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm uh, again just really happy to be here in conversation with you. Absolutely. Well, um, I I definitely I just I invite and welcome new edible activists to the show. And once we wrap up, you officially will become alum, Brian. So just <laughs> just so enthused to have you, another perspective, another voice um, in this space. And so um, you actually have a very extensive, extensive background, um, starting as an organizer um, mm-hmm. and supporting urban farms. In in addition to that, um, some other positions that you've held too that we'll we'll actually um, dive into that just a bit. But in your your in the political field, and so um, but let's start. Let I want to explore um, you again. You starting as an organizer and supporting urban farms, and um, where that that path has generally led you to, and um, how you involved in this space. Yeah, thank you. It's been complicated and messy. <laughs> Um, I appreciate that answer off the bat, but I do. <laughs> yeah, um, but the uh, the organizing piece has been uh, definitely beautiful and a godsend. Um, I, as you mentioned, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in Newark, uh, downtown Newark. My parents moved there. Um, my dad was going to business school at Rutgers. My mom was teaching at Rutgers, mm-hmm. and so my, my family moved there. And um, 
we were there in the 80s, um, the early 80s, and like many other cities, many other places across uh, the country and even the world, um, as, you know, Newark is a black city, so black community primarily, predominantly, and um, it's just under attack in so many ways by the system um, from urban renewal that was, had taken place there starting in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. Um, the, the district that we lived in is called uh, the James Street. Uh, historic district and uh, folks who moved into the community and joined other folks who had been living there for decades were um, just battling, trying to preserve uh, what was, what was left of the neighborhood, you know, the things that hadn't been knocked down by highways or, um, you know, urban renewal programs like hospitals and other projects, um, you know, that brought, you know, certain folks money and, you know, tried to attempt to bring the city prestige. Um, and they, you know, my parents just kind of joined that fight. Um, and that's kind of the context in which I grew up in. Um, and in addition to the war on drugs and, you know, everything else that was happening in the city. Um, I'd also say that uh, this is a really colorful neighborhood, college students, retirees, um, folks of different races, different economic backgrounds, um, just really trying to work together to, to make a difference. And um, all of that with, just a, a long family legacy of, of, of agriculture. My dad grew up in uh, South Jersey and um, eventually went to agricultural school. He grew up in segregated schools in South Southern New Jersey, um, uh, made it to college. He was the only person, only black person to graduate in his college class. He went to Rutgers, which is the state school of New Jersey. So I think segregation and of course, you know, white supremacy and racism has uh, reputation for being in the South, but New Jersey is a Northern state and that's uh, the environment which he grew up in. And, um, grew, you know, graduated from agricultural school, went to business school, as I mentioned at Rutgers in, in Newark and, uh, moved into downtown Newark and decided that he was going to continue to be a farmer. Um, so in this community of urban renewal, uh, my backyard had apple trees and plum trees, peach trees, strawberries, greens, grew everything. And um, my father was also very intentional about teaching the lessons of agriculture to me and my brothers. Um, we participated in community programs. Uh, I don't know if you had share where you were, um, but we, we did that. It's a, a program that uh, if you volunteered for two hours, you could get up to 40 to $50 of food for your family. And uh, we've, we put in our volunteer time. Uh, we handed out food to families who needed it. Um, we took food home for ourselves and ate it because we wanted connection to fresh food. Um, probably goes without saying for most folks, uh, the context of the 80s and 90s in Newark also um, created uh, food apartheid, right? A purposeful uh, dislocation of food, healthy food, especially um, in in my community, in the community I grew up in. Um Newark is the largest city in New Jersey, for example. Um, New Jersey's the wealthiest state in this country, but my family drove. We had to drive outside of the city limits to go to a supermarket. Yeah. Um, which, looking back, of course, it was a disadvantage, but it was also a privilege that we could drive uh, to do that. Uh, still today, in 2021, mm -hmm. uh, over 50% of the people in Newark don't have cars, so uh, that's a privilege that they could not do. They were dependent. You know, people are dependent on. Uh, you know, the bodegas, the corner stores, the dollar stores, of course, fast food, which, you know, could be found everywhere. And it's not healthy for folks. Uh, bodegas are great. 
they're small, you know, locally owned businesses, but they don't, uh, they can't always carry a large scale of products and they can't always carry the freshest products, right? Um, and I remember in the 90s, uh, I believe it was Pathmark, they moved to Newark. And it was one of the first examples of a major supermarket moving back to a black city, to a major city. And it became the, uh, the highest selling supermarket in the country. All right. So I say that to say that, uh, uh, food, you know, people often talk about food deserts and folks now wanting, uh, you know, to eat healthy foods and folks preferring fast foods. It's just not the case, right? Like folks poured into that supermarket the second it opened and made so much money for this chain that refused to, to be in our community for decades. Um, I guess that's the context, <laughs> the context, of, uh, which, you know, which I, which I started in. I haven't even gotten to the organizing piece, but you know, when I came back from college, um, the tight-knit community that I talked about before, I just noted it was starting to unravel. Like folks were tired. My parents were tired. Folks, you know, who had moved into the community 20, 30 years earlier were just tired of fighting, you know, tired of fighting for the simplest things like supermarkets, like uh, services, um, recognition, et cetera. And um, there's a, a lot of missing teeth in the community just in terms of vacant lots, um, and I noticed there was just one lot in particular that sat right in the middle of my street that folks would congregate at, would, uh, you know, let the dogs run in. They would have conversations about what was happening in the neighborhood. And um, I decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, that preserve this space uh, and uh, keep it away from development that was happening. And it could be a community garden. So I wrote a letter from this young, arrogant college kid coming back. Home. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a letter to the, like the community association. I was like, we have to do this. Like, we, you know, I want to talk to you all about preserving this lot. And um, they heard me out. They invited me to a meeting, talked about it, and started organizing about it uh, around that piece of property. And I uh, reached out to an organization that I later started to work for called the Greater North Conservancy. It's a nonprofit uh, that does uh, organizing, um, does uh, environmental education, does horticulture. And um, started organizing. They actually provided a lot of the tools and know-how that I needed to to get that park going. Uh, I was eventually able to preserve it as a Green Acres site, and it's still in use today. It's got beautiful trees there. Uh, folks still use it for um, you know multi-purpose use, but it became one of the first parks that I started in the city. And that's kind of uh, uh, my start, my origin in terms of organizing around community gardens. Um, urban farms and environmental space in the city of Newark. Um, eventually, when I started to work for the Conservancy, um, I learned so much more about the city that I grew up in uh, than I had ever learned before working with folks who had been farming, right? These are folks who had moved from the South on, on you know, moved from the South into Newark from, from all over the world, you know, Mississippi, Florida, Virginia, Jamaica, <laughs> Brazil, uh, just farming all around the city, growing the things that they knew, providing for families, Given a surplus way to neighbors, um, I've learned about you know so much more about the lots that exist, the people that exist, what what drives folks, what holds people together. Um, and it was an inspiration for me to go to graduate school, um, get a degree in urban policy, and I guess the rest is history. Wow, the rest is history. Are you serious, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Just the rest of history. Oh my gosh. But just starting, I mean, at the very, the really, it, truly at the origins of your stories, just starting from your family, you know, and just coming from a family so grounded 
And, and, you know, I, I just, I feel like, you know, that's where, where it starts and just being in this conscious space, this environment, um, you know, so I, that, that is the part that just stuck with me as you, as you walked us through this maze, if you will, and it, it is beautiful. And so, um, you know, I, I definitely want to, um, talked a bit to, you know, you, when, when we had our initial conversations, it was, I'm a returning farmer. And mm-hmm. so not only are you a returning farmer, you know, but returning to, to steward your family's land, which is a story within itself. <laughs> and so, um, the name of that farm is Esther farm. And so I just definitely just want to hold space and even reverence, you know, to, to acknowledge Esther, you know, Mm. um, um, your ancestor, your lineage, and to talk about, you know, uh, um, returning to the land, um, to, to steward this family, family land. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's funny that even doing that organizing work that I just talked about, um, I didn't see myself as a farmer. Um, I didn't even see myself as an organizer. And um, this, I feel like there's just two threads that were happening at the same time growing up, right? My father pouring into me, pouring into uh, my brothers, pouring into our community in terms of the work and his knowledge. Um, uh, us visiting our family farmers in southern New Jersey and Pemberton, growing blueberries and, and doing that every summer. Um, us visiting the family land and family farm in Virginia every year. Um, and there being so much pride uh, with my father, um, with other family members just talking about us, being able to hold on to it and cultivate it for so much time. And, uh, you know, at the same time, <laughs> like family members talking about how hard they worked over summers and how much they were so happy to not have to do that anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, you know, considered ourselves Northerners and how country, you know, Virginia was and South Jersey was and all that stuff. Like, you want to go down there and work in the, in the heat with those snakes and, you know, those mm-hmm. bugs. My father talking about getting uh, stung by wasps and everything like that. So there was these two stories in which I, I think didn't allow me, even with so much love and reverence for uh, the history there, I didn't allow me to think of myself as a farmer um, and didn't even allow myself to think of, uh, uh, working with folks who had um, been committed to that knowledge and com- committed to those skills, um, working with them as, as potential to, to solving problems and sourcing sourcing issues. Um, excuse me, I thought I turned my notifications off. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it, it became clear eventually, um, which I guess we'll, we'll talk about that. This is you know my path and was you know part of uh, what I considered to be a calling. Um, to to go back to to land um, that my family's been holding on to and and cultivating all this time. Um, Esther is the first uh, woman on my father's side that appears in our family tree. And um, I don't know anything about her, but when I saw her name, I just thought that was so powerful um, that her name is there, um, that exists, that I know she was on uh, this land, um, that I know she's touched it and cared for it. And, um, you know, I think that there's just so many examples of, especially in agriculture, some um, this white male dominated space um, in many ways. And uh, there's, you know, so much um, 
the reverence given to men. So oftentimes, um, even just in terms of my family name, right, it, it comes from, you know, the patrilineal line. I wanted to uh, pay homage to her and other women in my family, many who I know um, have poured into me. And um, uh, just try to, you know, I don't know what she dreamed about. I don't know exactly what she cared about, but I know um, the work that she did and the love that she gave allowed me to be here. Um, it fed us. So I wanted to pay homage to her. Um, and, you know, with the land also just really caring for uh, the original crops that they also grew as well, blueberries primarily. Oh, blueberries primarily. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just acres and acres of blueberries? <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> well, we have uh, three different parcels of land um, uh, totaling 100 acres. And, wow. Um, so I'm growing on uh, one of the pieces right now um, and covering only three acres of it. Um, and interested in continuing to develop a food forest um, that connects Ooh. to folks here in the area, um, in Essex County, Virginia, mm-hmm. um, also Washington, D.C., and Richmond, Fredericksburg, other cities around, and um, make connections to um, – I've been doing a lot of organizing work around criminal justice um, – or criminal injustice and um, looking to source food to folks who are incarcerated and their families. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, you know, I, I oh, you just, that, that is something that's like wrong off that, that is, I just want to zone in on that. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is so awesome. And um, I mean, <laughs> That is a incarceration, black men. That the the whole system. That system <laughs> is is yeah. a story within itself, right? Yes. Right, Brian. Yes, <laughs> a whole another piece to it. Yeah. Um, wow, wow. I I look uh, look forward to to seeing that develop more. Um, Thank you. Because yeah, that is so needed. That is so needed. So. You start off as an organizer, and now here you are in your family's land. You know it's 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 uh obviously deeper than the blueberries, um, deeper than um, a whole host of things. You know it's it's obviously I know been a spiritual journey for you, um, in so many different ways. But what is it? You know. How does that actually like just feel like being out, you know, on this land, ancestral land? You know, what what is that that every day or may not? I listen. I ain't. I'm. I, I don't know how often you're out there, but <laughs> every day. <laughs> That's not scolding, you know. What? But what is that when you say I am a returning farmer? Like, what does that really truly mean to you? Mm, yeah. Um, it's complicated. I'm learning about it more and more. Um, mm. Well, there's this piece of that I wanted to be a steward for this land, um, that I wanted to care for, that I wanted to pour into it, make sure that it's healthy. Um, some some family drama that we had, uh, a couple of relatives who had sold off the timber to, to the land um, probably about 10 years ago. and. Oh, wow. um, Wow. It's got here and it's just stumps on the land. And, you know, when I first saw it again, 
Um, there was just two pieces it's so beautiful, like all of that, the horror stories that had been talked about in my youth by older family members. It's like, wow, this land is so beautiful. Like, how could you? Um, I understand why folks left it, right? Like, especially given the times. But um, I also understand why we held on to it, right? Because it's just so beautiful, so green. Um, and even different from when I remember just being young. Um, and uh, at the same time, right, like it had just been devastated by the trees had been, you know, just cut down um, the stumps and there's weeds trying to grow through. And um, just knew that it had to be cared for, had to be loved, right? I just see it, uh, the land as something living, um, that it's not yeah. mine, that I'm just there to take care of it. Um, Virginia, like everywhere else across this country, has just a legacy of settler you know, society and there's markers all over the area of how Native people were just removed from this town and then moved over here and then eventually moved west. Um, so I'm also very cognizant that, you know, my family has had the privilege of caring for this land for, you know, quite some time, but there's also a whole group of peoples, you know, nations that, um, you know, dream about the land as well, um, mm-hmm. you know, have history there. Um, and, you know, I just see myself as somebody who can care for it in this time and also hopefully make connections to good um, and returning to it to do that. So many of us were forced to leave, you know, the land. Um, right, right. I'll give you a story. Like I just recently was visiting my mother and she pulled up paperwork of my great uh, grandfather, um, whose middle name I carry, Matthew Epps, and um, his purchase of one of the parcels of land and um, just kind of seeing that deed, right? Like, and, you know, bought it, purchased it for $125. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> and I mean, that was probably an incredible amount of money for him. Of um, course. Mm-hmm. And buying it in the South, right? Um, you know, showing up there and signing his name with an X and um, just knowing what he had to do to, to get it, you know, um, and, to, and to care for it and to, to raise his family there. Um, it's just a, a sense of responsibility that I feel to, to continue to carry that. Um, not only for the family, of course, but for the community there, right? So many people have been stripped of their land. Um, I even have a great uncle who was killed. They're part of probably, you know, why my family left the area, you know, majority of my family left that area and moved to New Jersey. Um, and so, you know, I think that's just part of our story as a people to be able to, you know, to return to what folks have fought for and dreamed about and strive for, I feel like is a privilege for me. And um, just uh, want to use that space to, again, you know, not only grow fresh food for myself, I love blueberries um, to death, love, you know, fresh food myself, but want to, you know, create something um, that it, and cultivate something that's, that's useful for folks who have been deprived of their dreams and have been deprived of their land. Wow. And the other, um, you know, one of the other things that that we talked about too are um, just, you know, the intentions of of um, pouring into the land yes. and not just taking from it, you know, yes. like just spending that time to like really, yes, cultivating, but just pouring into the soil. This is key. Um, so when I talked about my plans and uh, continue to talk to folks about it, they're like, what are you growing? Right? Who do you sell to? And I'm like, wow. Um, well, one, like if you've, even if you've, you know, you have house plants, you know that the process of caring for anything, certainly something that's living, is, is, is a process into itself, right? 
Um, and I immediately knew that I had to fall in love with the process over the product, um, just as a matter of being a successful, uh, you know, agriculturalist. Um, that's one piece. But also, again, just like my intention for being there is not necessarily to, um, to have things, right? It's, it's really to be a steward for the land and to not devastate it the way it's been devastated, whether through knocking down trees or through removal of people or um, all of the traumas that it's faced, right? I want to be somebody that is a lover of it. And that means I can't um, see myself as taking from it or what is this land going to produce for me or what is it going to produce for others? But how can I nurture it so that it's able to, to, to grow things, right? How can I can care for this land in a way that it's able to be a connector for folks um, in a way that it was in the past? You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artists Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. Peace and welcome back to the show. Um, We're just going to dive right back into um, these combos with Brian Epps. Um, if you didn't catch at the top of the show, he's a New Jersey native, he's an organizer, community builder, and a returning farmer. And um, we just we were just talking, we, we actually talked about a lot, um, but he just took us through this beautiful maze and journey of how he started as an organizer, now stewarding family land that's been held for 200 years. Just what an incredible story. Um, and so one of the things that um, like as we push through these these conversations is I want I want to revisit um, well no, actually, we talked about food apartheid just a bit earlier in the show. Um, but Brian, I know that you have, you know, you sh- everybody has their views and their perspectives of, you know, what is, what is healthy nutrition? What is, what is healthy living? Um, and I know you share uh, a number of perspectives of, of, and that nutrition comes in many forms, you know? So I'm jumping from organizer to farmer to, you know, nutrition. <laughs> And we all know when we say nutrition, you know, like just the source of our food. And I'm sure not just the source, the source, how it was made, how it, how it was grown, like all of that. Um, but definitely just want to spend some time just unpacking some of, some of your perspectives when it comes to nutrition and, and you know, getting this in various forms. Um, even for those who, you know, we obviously talk a lot about growing and how people can, you know, grow just from starting small to like big, but you know, but how just, again, I'm going on and on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a time, you know, just talking through your perspectives on, on nutrition and what else that looks like. I appreciate it. Um, as an organizer, uh, somebody who tries to uh, work with folks and make connections and even inspire people to act, I often find myself asking or being curious about like, what is it? that's going to inspire somebody to act, right? What's, what's, what's their motivator? And uh, I believe uh, my motivator 
to be family, right? To be that connection, to be that history that I was um, instilled with. But I think the truth is, uh, so we opened. So I think my path has been a little bit messier than that, right? The things that have brought me back to the land have also uh, been traumatic and been things that have lacked nutrition. Um, for years after being an organizer, I worked in public policy, um, was even a lobbyist for some time. And um, I worked for the Bloomberg administration, worked for uh, the Brooker administration when they were both mayors. And I was a, lo- a lobbyist for a small boutique firm in New York City. And, um, uh, you know, after going to graduate school, um, studying urban policy, really looked up to those positions as being like the pinnacle of public policy, right? Like that's, those are the places where I can learn. Of course, uh, those are the cities I was living in. So I wanted to be a, a public servant to the people. Um, but also, for example, while working for the Bloomberg administration, I was being stopped and frisked, right? Um, and, uh, you know, experiencing um, the movement of my people across the city through gentrification, it's the same movement um, that, you know, moved black folks from the South to the North, right? Or move black folks from Africa to America and from plantation to plantation. And it's just like a, a trauma there that's purposeful that, yes. um, you know, tries to uh, make us forget, right? Like we don't, we can't have memories about why we're great. We can't have a history. Uh, we can't, uh, have solid institutions because we're in constant movement. I mean, we do have all of those things, but at the same time, we could have so much more if we weren't being forced to physically move all the time. Um, so experiencing that in, in, in my life, right? <laughs> like this is not history. It's like what we experiencing today. Like somebody is moving right now because they can't afford to, to be where they are. Right. Um, where they want to be, <laughs> where their family's been. Um, you know, where they've built, where they've built institutions and where they, where they experience love at that's happening right now. Um, and so, you know, being a part of administration that, uh, both administrations really that were so focused on data, right? And the importance of science, but also not recognizing the harms and traumas, um, was, uh, was not nutritious, <laughs> right? Mm. Like, um, Mm. Uh, experiencing those things physically, um, I can just go into countless times of uh, being stopped and frisked or harassed, uh, and experiencing those things. Um, and it's completely illogical, right? Um, well, how does somebody who who's in the mayoral administration uh, a target for a police harassment, right? That don't make any sense. Uh, it's completely illogical. Um, mm. And so, you know, I found myself in a place, in addition to many other things, wanting to heal and just wanting to grow and wanting nutrition, craving it. Um, and that, that sent me on a journey to, to get back into organizing. Um, I was just back in Newark and working with young people, um, also working with folks uh, in criminal justice uh, who had been harmed by Newark's policy, policing policies. Um, Newark was under federal decree. Um, which basically means the federal government, Department of Justice, did an investigation in Newark and have done it in multiple cities, Baltimore, Oakland, uh, Chicago, I believe, and um, found, uh, as, to no surprise to us, they found uh, you know history of abuses, um, mm. fraud, um, of course, police brutality. 
and uh, the investigation uh, forced those cities to uh, take remedial steps uh, to improve themselves. And so um, I was there organizing uh, with folks, developing solutions. And uh, again, this is work that's been happening in cities for, for probably for decades. Um, and it's a lot of where the fund the police comes from, right? From community-based solutions that funding uh, should not go into policing institutions, but should be on in programs um, and in solutions that actually proven to prevent violence um, and heal communities. Um, so that's the work that really um, helped to restore me, not only uh, from the issues and from the experiences that I had faced, um, but I also believe to help to really surface solutions that were good for uh, the city of Newark. If you've been following what's been happening there, there hasn't been, uh, you know, police shootings, even in the, uh, the rise of violence. Right. Um, because those solutions um, have actually worked not only for community members, um, but they've also worked for police, right? Because police have a lot of trauma themselves um, and that we all need to heal from. Um, uh so, you know, uh, just really became curious about, curious about that. Of course, got into therapy myself, um, mm-hmm. started reading books that were, um, uh, you know, sourced from other activists and organizers, um, even just authors like Bell Hooks, I love all about love, her book, just in terms of envisioning what community should look like and can look like. Um, and all of those things, I think, helped lead me back to the family lands in addition to discussions with a father and a mom, um, other family members as well. Wow. What would Esther want seeing? Mm. What, what, what do you think Esther would want to see? Just other things transpire on the land. Do you ever mm-hmm. think about that at all? I like, have. Just and, like, um, what would Esther, you know? <laughs> is that ever even a thought? Yeah, I've I've tried to think about it, and then I've also tried not to think about it because I'm sure I would mess it up, you know, Melissa. <laughs> like, how could I possibly get that right? But I do think about it. Um, I try to dig into this. Actually, I was surprised to find that there's, you know, literature written about um, the black community in this county and um, just started to order some books and learn more about what folks were experiencing during her time Wow! Um, to get a mm-hmm. deeper glimpse into kind of what, uh, she, you know, she was experiencing, what, you know, other family members were experiencing on the land throughout the years. Um, also continuing to learn from farmers, so many black farmers. I mean, it's not enough of us, but so many black farmers who've just been in the area um, and of course, all across the country doing this work and just learning about what they've been fighting for and what their dreams are has been really helpful. Um, speaking to Esther specifically, I think um, what I do know is that um, in northern Essex County, where the uh, land is, uh, Black folks there were really forging community at that time. And this is not unique to, to Essex County, Virginia, um, but, you know, this is multiple places around the country where folks were coming together to um, just create a new, a new arc, right? To create their own utopias, if, you know, away from white supremacy, um, trying to build schools for their families, trying to build hospitals for their families, um, trying to build their own institutions, as we always do and have done. Um, 
And I believe that's maybe what they had in mind in terms of uh, having the audacity and the bravery to, to buy this land and, you know, to continue to pass on the message of holding on to it. Um, so I believe, you know, also in addition to wanting to maintain my connection to um, healing and restoration and getting away from criminalization of, of our people, um, I believe that's follow, if, uh, get, uh, making connections to um, folks who are incarcerated is part of, I think, what Esther would have wanted, right? Uh, mm. um, I don't think they envisioned a world in which uh, folks would be taken away from our communities again, right? They had just gotten out of enslavement. Um, right. That's not what they were dreaming about. So uh, if there's something that I can do to help us get out of chains again, uh, I think that's hopefully in line with what they were dreaming about. Oh, my goodness. That was beautiful. That wasn't even part of my questions. And I just, it just, it was just drumming. Something was tapping. Like, it's ass, ass. And that Esther is just such a powerful name. I know you stated that at the very beginning. And I just, even when I just say it, it's just that Esther, it's, it's Esther Farms. Ah, it just holds yeah. so much, so much weight, so much beautiful golden weight. So, so what are next steps? Like, what are, what's, what's next? There's going to be some part twos and threes and fours to all of this, Brian, for sure. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. Uh, awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm really serious about, I mean, one of the reasons that I reached out to you, and again, thank you for, for making the time, is that I'm very serious about trying to forge community. Um, it's, again, just part of my essence, my background. Um, but uh, I have no intention to go in this to be, a, to be an island or even to be a model. Um, I really wanted to be in community with um, rural Black genius specifically. Um, and, you know, my next step is really trying to not only be on this land, but also connect with other folks who've been able to uh, maintain land, who are, you know, being stewards for land um, and, you know, trying to learn and trying to fight. Um, so you know, hopefully they, they hear this and uh, just want to be in community to have discussion um, and, and to build and, and try to and to try to progress. Um, additionally, I think there's there's so much more acreage um, that's here, and um, that connection piece to folks who actually uh, need food, want food, um, are trying to build solutions in um, you know the food supply chain. Um, uh, looking to to really bridge with that and, and figure out ways in which to do to do that as you know in. As much as the land will give, I want to share it. Um, so those are kind of the two top things that are, that are on my uh, on my mind. In addition to just being a more skilled farmer, um, I just remember uh, having a conversation about like us uh, at a Jamaican neighbor, and uh, you know their sorrow. Uh, uh, you know, Jamaican drink. Uh, it's mm -hmm. made from the yes. uh, the leaf, yes. right? <laughs> And I was like, yo, that's sorrow. That's a biscuit. That's the same thing. And we had this whole argument about it. <laughs> <laughs> so afterwards, I had to Google it. I'm like, I know I'm right about this. Um, <laughs> and it turns out there's like 200 different types of hibiscus plant, right? Like sorrow is not the same exact thing, right? There's so much more to learn, even just mm -hmm. about one plant, about blueberries themselves. Um, so I'm just continuing to be a student, right? To just learn about what's already existent. Um, on this land, what's already growing, what's you know has the potential to also grow. What can I bring and introduce to it um, that that's uh, in alignment with what's already here? Um, and you know, I think those three pieces are, are all my next steps. 
That is so great. So Brian, for those who want to connect with you, you know, those who want to organize, you know, build, you know, all the things that, that Brian just laid out, you know, how can, how can someone get in contact with you? What's the, what's the most convenient way to do so? Awesome. I'm trying to be like, um, young and this is not even like that young, but you know, I'm on Instagram. Um, <laughs> you don't so, with the at sign. <laughs> <laughs> it's Esther Farm. Um, at Esther Farm is two E's E E S T R Farm um, on IG. We just started the account sharing um, uh, you know short stories and pictures of the land itself and of things around the land and mm-hmm. even other things uh, as I, as I travel and learn from other farmers um, around the country as well. So. Uh, would love you know to get messages from folks, learnings from folks, and even share all the things that I've learned along the way. That's so dope. I want to come out to the farm. Please Hopefully do. you have me. Yes. I would love to come. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm not letting you off the hook that easy, okay? Because we have a few rapid fire questions. And are you ready? I think I am. I can handle okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Brian, what is your favorite veggie or fruit? I've always been a fan of the plum, um, but also, you know, the watermelon has been getting a lot of slander recently, and um, it's an you African slander, slander. African fruit. I love watermelon. <laughs> There's a lot of watermelon slander out here, Melissa. Um, it's an African fruit. We brought it over here. So, uh, Hello, it's also get with it. An get Afro with it. It's natural Viagra. Um, so, you know, I, I'm starting to have a strong appreciation for the watermelon as well. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Get your watermelon on, y'all. <laughs> I love watermelon. Love it. Love it. Love it. But you know what? No, I don't think anyone has ever said plum. So I was, oh, wow. I was, no one's ever said plum. That's, we that's real plums. specific. Yes. That is real specific. Plum wine, plum, like, I could do a plum cobbler. <laughs> plum cake, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. I got you. I got you. All right. So, okay. Now this is where, this is about your flavor profile. Mm. Sweet, spicy, sour, salty, savory, or bitter? Definitely sweet. I have a, a tremendous sweet tooth. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Last artist or podcast you listen to. And that literally could have been moments before mm. our interview as you pregame. That could have been Uh-oh. yesterday. Anything. Anything. What was the um, last jam? This is this is scary, but I listen to AgriTalk. Um, they're a bunch of white men talking about agricultural news, and they get on my nerves, but <laughs> it keeps me grounded in what I should know and what I should be fighting against. So, And that's the last one I listen to. It's the last podcast I listen to. All right. There you have it. Who are you rooting for these days? I mean, that can be anybody. Yeah. In relation to AgriTalk, they are firmly trying to uh, rally up the troops against our black farmers um, being compensated and mm-hmm. um, being restored in terms of debt relief um, with the bill that's out. And um, I'm rooting for, for black farmers right now um, that they get justice um, and that they, uh, they get the relief that is more than owed to them. I'm right with you. Yep. I am right with you. Brian, this has been so great. I got to know you. I swear, your your voice is so smooth, y'all. His voice is so smooth. 
I'm just like sitting here. I'm just like, I can just listen to you talk all day. What a journey you have. What a story. Oh my gosh. I mean, just to, just to see where you started in like this organizing space and this return back to the land. I mean, it's like, it's a, it was a beautiful mace like it is. And I know there's going to be more added to it. And so I'm just excited to um, see Esther Farm evolve and what you're doing and the plans that you have. I would love to come visit if I'm ever, if the invitation is ever extended, I'm there. I'm there. I would love to see it. And, you know, just, just honor to, to your, to your ancestors your lineage because because of them this is why we are you are you know in present Mm -hmm. so um thank you all for tuning in and y'all have a wonderful day peace thank you melissa thanks for tuning in you can catch today's episode on fullserviceradio.org as well as itunes and spotify be sure to follow who talks in color that's just the letter in on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all updates. Are you an edible activist? Sure you are. Come join me on the show. Just shoot me a DM on the gram or connect with me at foodtalksincolor.com. And if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, let's connect. Peace and blessings. And remember, in the words of Baba Tariq Adunu, there is no culture without agriculture.